"'And this also,' said Marlow suddenly, "'has been one of the dark places of the earth.' I was thinking of very old times when the Romans first came here, 1900 years ago, the other day. Light came out of this river since, you say nights? Yes, but it is like a running blaze on a plain, like a flash of lightning in the clouds. We live in the flicker. May it last as long as the old earth keeps rolling. But darkness was here yesterday. Imagine the feelings of a commander of a fine... What do you call them? A trireme in the Mediterranean, ordered suddenly to the north. Run overland across the Gauls in a hurry, put in charge of one of these craft legionaries, a wonderful lot of handy men they must have been. Two used to build, apparently by the hundred in a month or two, if we may believe what we read. Imagine him here, the very end of the world, a sea the color of lead, a sky the color of smoke. A kind of ship about as rigid as a concertina, and going up this river with stores or orders or what you like. Sandbanks, marshes, forests, savages, precious little to eat fit for a civilized man. Nothing but Thames water to drink. No Falernian wine here, no going ashore. Here and there a military camp lost in a wilderness like a needle in a bundle of hay. Cold, fog, tempest, disease, exile and death. Death skulking in the air in the water, in the bush. They must have been dying like flies here. Oh, yes, he did it. Did it very well, too, no doubt. And without thinking much about it either, except afterwards to brag of what he had gone through in his time, perhaps. They were men enough to face the darkness. And perhaps he was cheered by keeping his eye on a chance of promotion to the fleet at Ravenna by and by, if he had good friends in Rome and survived the awful climate. Or think of a decent young citizen in a toga, perhaps too much dice, you know, coming out here in the train of some prefect or tax gatherer or trader even to mend his fortunes. Land in a swamp, march through the woods, and in some inland post feel the savagery, the utter savagery had closed around him, all that mysterious life of the wilderness that stirs in the forests, in the jungles, in the hearts of wild men. There's no initiation either into such mysteries, he has to live in the midst of the incomprehensible which is also detestable, and it has a fascination, too, that goes to work upon him. The fascination of the abomination, you know. Imagine the growing regrets, the longing to escape, the powerless disgust, the surrender, the hate. Whether that I live or die, said Sir Lancelot, with no great word get ye it again. Therefore fight for it. Then right so he passed throughout them. And beyond the chapel yard there met him a fair damsel. Now, gentle knight, said the damsel, I require thee to kiss me but once. Nay, said Sir Lancelot, that God me forbid. Well, sir, I have lost all my labor, for I ordain this chapel for thy sake. Hello and welcome, I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find us online at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at Syncbook. 
Today is the 27th day of June 2015, and this is our 191st broadcast. Will is away this evening, but I have an assist tonight by Syncbook Press Managing Editor Alan Green. My big news today is to relate that the Treefort Sync Summit 2016 is definitely a thing. Mark your calendars for March 23rd through the 27th, 2016, and plan on coming to beautiful downtown Boise. We are working now on the programming and logistical details, and we will definitely keep you in the loop as more information becomes available. The term Chapel Perilous first appeared in Sir Thomas Mallory's La Morte d'Arthur as the setting for an adventure in which a sorceress unsuccessfully attempts to seduce Sir Lancelot. Jessie L. Weston explicates this term in her book, From Ritual to Romance, and T.S. Eliot used it symbolically in his poem, The Wasteland. Chapel Perilous is also used in an occult sense referring to a psychological state in which an individual cannot be certain whether they have been aided or hindered by some force outside the realm of the natural world, or whether that what appeared to be supernatural interference was a product of their own imagination. It was used this way by the late writer and philosopher Robert Anton Wilson in his book Cosmic Trigger. The term Chapel Perilous was also used by Antero Ali, recent guest of Syncbook Radio's Pentimental, in Ali's 1986 book Angel Tech, which is based on Timothy Leary's Eight Circuit Model of Consciousness, Chapel Perilous is regarded as a rite of passage when moving between the four lower circuits of consciousness to the higher circuits. In Chapel Perilous, the integrity of the lower circuits is tested as a preparation for activation of the higher circuits. And the reason why I bring all this up is because I think we just had some moment, a big moment happened, and and I want to talk about it, and that's why Alan is here, and we're sharing 42 minutes with Znor, proprietor of the blog Group Name for Grape Juice, which can be found at groupnameforgrapejuice.blogspot.com. You can find Znor on Always Record numbers 44, 54, and 96, and Synchronize number 3 which is where I'd actually like to start. Alan, can you tell us what Synchronized Number 3 was all about and why do you think it might be particularly relevant right now? Synchronized Number 3, that was, uh, we dealt with, that was actually, if I remember correctly, that was released on the anniversary of Robert Anton Wilson's uh, serious experience. Uh, we dealt with uh, 317, uh, Shakti um, and the this uh, singer Michelle Shocked, who uh, had said that if gays were allowed to marry, then basically it would bring about the apocalypse, and that Jesus would come back. And we had a mm. uh, Michael Shocked on to talk about well, maybe that's a you know it it wouldn't that be a good thing if. Or if you're a if she's a Christian, wouldn't she want Jesus to come back? Um, and just sort of played with some of these ideas. And um, Zenor provided a, an amazing essay for us uh, in that episode as well, dealing with funeral parade of roses and a number of ancillary topics. Um, that was that was a really special one. Yeah, but so what's what what happened to me? And here's the sink, and then we can bring in Zenor. Is so when I was. I wanted to talk to you for a long time and meet you, Zenor, because your work is so fascinating. But 
in in so like just collecting the 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 syncbook radio moments that we have with you i i put your name in guillaume's sync machine just to see our search machine to see you know where you pop up and one of the first things is this this synchronized number three but it's just so funny to me that i would i would pop that up you know right around the, the time that you know so the first thing you hear is that you know uh the apocalypse and so now in the united states i don't know if you do you follow the news in the united states Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, and so it it really seems like like we flipped a switch here and everyone's got their their rainbow profiles and and so I'm wondering I mean specifically I want to talk about the idea of the Chapel Perilous and the repressed shadow cuz that's the other component that what's going on. So mm. for our listeners who don't know what the heck is going on you know what? What is this Chapel Perilous, and and why why were you interested in it? Yeah. Um, so, I guess my interest uh, with this it's basically um, the title of two uh, blog posts that I did uh, um, this year, and they started out actually with um, looking at uh, Alan's video. Uh, and the title of Alan's video, what it's what is it, Alan? It's King Kill. Uh, suicide Kings. Suicide Kings, yeah. So, yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, Alan just recently put out this video. When was that? Last November or something. And uh, I watched that, and it had to do with uh, basically the application of of. Uh, Fraser's ideas and Golden Bough to more recent history. Is that, is that right? Like uh, with um, 9-11 and the uh, assassination of JFK and uh, assassination of uh, Osama bin Laden and so on, right? Um, and anyways, when I was watching that video, which, which blew me away, it was just like I, if anyone hasn't seen it, they should watch it. Um, but there's a scene in that video, uh, and this is from Apocalypse Now, and it's showing um, on the sort of bedside table of, of Colonel Kurtz, there's a, uh, um, it shows a couple of books, and one of them is The Golden Bow, and then one of them is uh, From Ritual to Romance. And the sync for me there was I had just bought that book at a used bookstore up in Tokyo, in exactly the same edition, and I was, I, I had, it, it was on my shelf, I hadn't read it yet, I was just about to read it, and that really triggered me to go and to look at it, and from there, that's where the, uh, the Chapel Paradise comes in, uh, uh, sorry, the Chapel Perilous comes in. Now, are you of the mind, like, I can hear... Like maybe a Jason Barrera saying that the whole world is the Chapel Perilous, that this is the the demi urges construction that we're stuck in. Yeah, um, I think that's uh, true to an extent, but then we have to look at um, what is the demi urge, right? Um, and if we uh, if we get really into that, if we really sort of start to analyze that. Um, um, 
I don't know. For myself, I was into uh, Tibetan Buddhism for for quite a while, and there's this ritual in Tibetan Buddhism that's called uh, Chod. I don't I don't really know how to pronounce it, but uh, it's this ritual where people go off into the wilderness, like a wasteland. It's it's kind of like a, a charnel ground or something, inhabited by wild beasts and maybe ghosts or whatever. Um, and yeah, in, in Tibet, their method of disposing of bodies is just to let them out into the wilderness and have the, uh, the vultures come and eat them or the animals come and tear them apart, um, uh, sky burial. And so they would, these uh, Chod practitioners would go out into these really creepy, scary places in the middle of the night and offer themselves in meditation, go into a deep meditation and offer themselves to... Uh, whoever to the demons to come in and, and tear apart their psyche. Um, but the, the point of this is that, and I guess that would be the, the chapel perilous right there. The, the point of that is uh, to get beyond that and to realize that all those demons and gods that are attacking you are parts of your own psyche. Um, so in a way, I think that's what, that's what, uh, the chief of the archons is right, or the the creator god, or the demiurge. It's 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 basically uh, like a manifestation of of maybe your own ego or something, right? Um, the the part of your own psyche that prevents you from realizing that there is no subject object split, right? Okay, um, which is great, <laughs> especially. I'm, I'm wondering if you can reconcile that with something that I've been saying for a while. So because of Terence McKenna's, you know, synchronicity holiday, the end of the world, 2012, I kind of latched onto this idea that the years impart some kind of archetype, you know, mm. so 2013 was death and 2014 was temperance, balance. And then so 2015 is our devil card. Mm. Yeah, interesting. But it's also the year of the goat, and so it just has yeah, this perfect. right, this real heavy shadow, shadow flavor. So it's a shadow dance. We're dealing with the idea of or reconciliation, but um, and and so now I'm thinking in terms of like uh, again that Michelle shocked from that synchronize, you know, this repressed shadow coming out of the closet, as it were, but then she's also talking about Jesus, you know, mm. and the unveiling and the apocalypse, and Jesus juxtaposed next to, you know, his shadows, the devil, that, like, those are the two sides of the coin. Mm. You know, can you speak to that a little bit in terms of the Chapel Perilous? Hmm. Um, I guess that's um, what you ultimately confront is your own uh, shadow in the, in the Chapel Perilous. Um, and that shadow, um, the shadow is ultimately Satan on a, on a, on a, on a bigger scale or the devil on a bigger scale. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's interesting. Like I've always, um, in my blog, I've written a lot about the, uh, the hero twins and, and, um, that comes up in, in, in the Mayan cosmology, but it's also um, more in uh, Judeo-Christian 
mythology, that is exactly what you said. It's like it's 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 Jesus and Lucifer, right? Those they are the hero twins, and so um, the return of Christ is also the return of the Antichrist, or the or the coming of the Antichrist. Um, I think they would they would they would come at exactly the same time, and that sort of goes along with uh, Jung's idea of of the age of Pisces, where uh, Pisces is represented by the two fish, um, and the, those two fish would be the uh, would be Christ and Antichrist as well. He even saw it as as being split, like that two thousand year uh, period of the age of Pisces, the first a thousand years. Um, under the one fish, which would be represented by Christ, and then the next a thousand years, which we're just, we're just sort of entering out of, is is the reign of uh, of the Antichrist. So, yeah, I, I guess you, in a way, that whole age, like the age of Pisces, is the Chapel Perilous. But then, in a in a sort of smaller scale, you have this sort of transitional period in between the age of Pisces and the age of uh, the age of Aquarius or whatever, which um, I've always thought of as being this sort of 108 year period, which uh, which may begin around 1904 with uh, with Crowley talking about the Aeon of Horus, and then also uh, that's the that's the date on on. June sixteenth, nineteen o four, that uh, Ulysses is supposed to have taken place at. Um, and it, it's interesting sure. that you, even in uh, Cosmic Trigger, um, Robin Anton Wilson he talks about both of those. Like he he corresponds both of those dates, and later on he talks about um, McKenna's ideas of two thousand and twelve. But he doesn't. Um, there's no tie-in about the one hundred and eight year. Um, period between those two dates, which I, I thought it's interesting. I, either he didn't catch that, or or he, he kept that secret. I I don't know. Now, could you just explain that just a little bit more clearly? Where where are you getting this 108? There's 108 years between the 1904 and uh, 2012. So um, there's a uh, the Rosicrucians, or at least the the sort of more modern form of the Rosicrucians. They talked about this 108-year period of of activity in the uh, in the Rosicrucian movement, and then passivity, where they would they would just basically be underground, like doing things behind the scenes, and then and then in that time of 108 years, when that finishes, they would come to the surface again and sort of reveal themselves. So I started to think that that's what 2012 was all about. Is that it's sort of the end of this kind of uh, in-breathing period and the start of this sort of out-breathing period or, or something, the, the, time of, uh, the time of revelation when the, when the, uh, when the, uh, the rosy cross brother, brothers sort of resurface, at least metaphorically, you know? Well, so can we, if you don't mind, I want to take it, you mentioned Ulysses, you mentioned... Uh, these blog posts that you did, um, you know, I, I don't know if people, for people who aren't familiar with your work, I want to just say this uh, before we go any further, is Doug sort of uh, asked you a question up front saying, uh, comparing you, you're asking if you agreed with a Jason Barrera, and what's funny is 
you and Jason remind me so much of each other, even though I think you have very different uh, concepts um, and, and maybe quote unquote answers, you know, of sort of what 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 you've come to uh, or how you think. But there's definitely I understood when Doug said that because I put you and Jason on sort of equal footing in my mind when I think of you both and that you're both really taking this writing about synchronicity and all the sort of tangent topics that we do at such a high caliber. Um, you're, you, you guys to me are really something special. And I, I just hope that everyone listening really checks out your blog because it's incredible. Do you want to follow up on that? So when did you start this blog and you know, what, what inspired you to, to do sync blogging? Um, yeah, that goes back a ways, I guess. Um, uh, I don't know. I've always been interested in sync. I used to, um, I used to hitchhike around a lot, like, uh, uh, back and forth across the States and Canada into Mexico and then Central America, a bunch of places. And, um, when I was traveling, I don't know if you guys have done much hitchhiking, but it, it's almost like, uh, um, constant synchronicity, like one one ride sort of bleeds into the other ride, and and uh, if you hadn't got one strange ride in the past, you wouldn't have got this great ride in in the future a bit, you know. Like it's it all sort of lines up perfectly together. Um, so at that time when I was traveling around, it it got to be so much of a common thing that I didn't even consider it to be synchronicity. It was just it was just sort of this magical life that I was living. Like how the um, world worked? Yeah, yeah. And I remember I I've listened to Freeman a lot and I know he's he's done a similar thing. Like I think he went like I used to go to rainbow gatherings and stuff and I, I think Freeman was the same thing. Like he he would go around to these different gatherings. Um and he he said yeah when he was speaking it was it's identical to my experiences that uh it it just becomes this kind of uh, like I don't know this kind of outpouring of synchronicity right um, um, constantly it it just constantly I think when you open yourself up and you don't have much money and you have you have freedom to do uh, what you want even though you don't have much money to do many things with um, but the I don't know the universe or whatever just opens up for you you know. Um, so th that's kind of my experience of synchronicity on that level. But then, um, I don't know, when I uh, came over to Asia eventually and uh, settled into Japan, uh, I, got a, I finally got a, a high-speed computer, like internet access for, for the first time. And so I was able to finally look up all this stuff that was going on about 9-11. Uh, and then that led to deeper and deeper stuff. And finally, I, I discovered... Uh, one of Jake's old videos, um, which blew me away. But I didn't, even at that point, I didn't really uh, continue to follow him because he, he got onto the kind of more pop culture stuff, which at that time I wasn't really into. I was more into the, the, like the parapolitical aspect of it. Um, and then uh, I, an early sync video that I saw, which I didn't even realize who made it up until a year or so ago, was, uh, was uh, Kevin Halcott's... Um, Antakarana, one of his old Antakarana videos, which really blew me away. 
Um, and that, that was one of the first uh, sync vids other than Jake's that I had seen. Um, and so, yeah, so I didn't really get into it. I got into it myself through uh, Cosmic Trigger. I finally, I had read a lot of uh, Robert Anton Wilson, but I hadn't uh, read Cosmic Trigger. And I finally got a copy of it in about 2008. And that triggered this whole <laughs> series of, <laughs> series of uh, serious uh synchronicities, right? All this weird serious stuff. And eventually, um, through that, I, I, I contacted this other guy, Monk, who's this genius uh, astronomer, kind of weird dude, and had a bunch of, like a series of emails with him, which basically turned into my blog. But anyways, through the, the serious stuff, I found out about uh, Christopher Knowles, and then eventually Alan, um, I think I heard you on Red Ice. I don't. When were you on Red Ice? Huh? When? What did he pop uh, up? I guess that, w- that would have been 2011. It was right around the first Sync books. That would have been 2011. Yeah, yeah. So it, eventually, I heard. I it, and it, did you talk about Sirius then? It was that. I don't. Re- it's very possible. I'm sure you I, did. <laughs> <laughs> Alan talk, talk about Sirius probably. <laughs> Anyway, so when something, either that interview or something else led me to check out SyncBook and then that led me to always record and then listening to you guys on always record, um, I was fascinated and then finally, especially Bill going off on uh, Finnegan's Wake, that's <laughs> that's when I was like, fuck, I got to contact these guys. Like, uh, I, I just remember listening to Bill and, and it going on this massive rant about uh, Finnegan's Wake, and I was like, Bill knows. Had you so you had read? I mean, you had explored that by your, you know, independently, and then found someone. He found. Yeah, someone. he was the first. He was the first person that I had ever heard of who who thought of it in the same way as I did, you know, and it, it was, it was pretty mind-blowing. Like, yeah, I got into, uh, Joyce at a late, like, Joyce was always somebody in the background for me, right, but I, I, w- I was always meaning to read, and I finally ended up reading Ulysses, um, I started reading it right on the day of, uh, March 11th, um, 2011, when the, when the big earthquake and tsunami hit, um, Japan. So I started. That's when I started to read Ulysses, and then I read uh, Finnegan's Wake soon afterwards, and I got f- totally into both of the, like all of Joyce's stuff after that. So here we have you saying you start this book while there's the same day as this massive earthquake, and you you live in Japan, so obviously mm-hmm. even if it didn't oh, it impact did. you directly, it's oh, it did, it did. We we had to leave our house. You know, we went out into the street, and our neighbors were out in the street as well. Um, it was huge. Yeah. So you're reading this book and you have to fucking put it down to go run. <laughs> um, <laughs> so things like that where you have these, you know, it's almost like uh, whether we want to take this as a cosmic signal, a cosmic trigger saying, hey, you've you've unlocked the next step in, in consciousness or something. This is a big one. Mm. Whether you want to read into it like that or whatever. However, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but uh, when you – you wrote these blog posts you wrote about Chapel Perilous seemed like a similar sort of uh, chain of events where one book is bleeding into the next and it's sort of like unlocking this almost lineage, a literary lineage 
of uh, symbols and I, I don't even know where to begin to explain it. I want to kind of ask you to give us a synopsis of it, but I also basically want to know you mentioned synchronicity and how the universe works. You've also mentioned, you know, the the meta, even maybe metaphorical Rosie Cross Brotherhood. I'm questioning at what point do you make a distinction between intent and synchronicity when it comes to some of these, um, you know, quote unquote, syncs within established artwork where we, where we see a sort of lineage of, of thought and a, a network of, of, of ideas being shared throughout different books. Yeah. Um, yeah, I relate that back also to Finnegan's Wake. Like, I think um, sort of a unique thing that Joyce was doing with Finnegan's Wake, if you, especially if you, if you look back on how he wrote or how he constructed that, um, he starts he starts pretty simply with all these uh, episodes like and like kind of almost mythic episodes and then he within like 17 17 years he just overlays it with a, a ton of of puns like he just he just overlays it with layer and layer and layer of of puns to the point where um they're all all these puns are resonating off of each other and so when you read the wake after that, it's like there's no possibility that that Joyce um, intended all of the meaning that would come out of Finnegan's wake, and so he's he's constructing a book, I think, to um, invoke something new, right? To 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 really sort of enter a uh, kind of a new phase of of. Uh, I don't know a new phase of art or a new new phase of literature where where um, the artist is not uh, trying to construct these huge uh, this huge architecture like uh, um, I think Ezra Pound's The Cantos is is a lot more like that where he's trying to he's trying to recapture the whole of history and and restructure and it in in his own way which is it's mind blowing in in itself right. There's, but I think what Joyce is trying to do is is let something come through, and he he calls that uh, ALP, like he calls that Anna Olivia Pluribel, which who's the river of uh, of Finnegan's Wake, and so she is the wife, if you want to call it that. Like it, it's hard to talk about characters in Finnegan's Wake, but she's the wife of uh, of HCE, who's sort of represented by the the mountain, and HCE is. He is the demiurge, right? He is the artist or the author or the 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 master builder or the the masturbator. He's he's like a, he's he's the creator god, right? And then he falls, and so Finnegan's Wake is all about the falling and rising of of the god, like the the same myth that that Alan you're talking about in your video. And what Joyce is saying is that beyond that. With the entire spectrum is ALP, is Anna Olivia Pluribus, is the river, and meaning is generated um, by her spontaneously. Like it just, it just comes, it, it comes through her, and I think that's where, where sync comes through as well, right? Um, so I think, I don't. Another way I think of it is um, uh, Joyce also compares. Uh, well, he. It's hard to say compares. Like he uses he uses the metaphor of Humpty Dumpty, right? Humpty Dumpty falling off the wall, 
And and I think you can use Humpty Dumpty uh, Humpty Dumpty as a sort of metaphor for for Western history in a way, right? You have Humpty Dumpty on the wall, and this is tradition, like the old old style uh, medieval tradition where there was a sort of metaphysical foundation to things. And then you have Humpty Dumpty falling off the wall, which was like the death of God, where everything becomes adrift um, in in Nietzsche's terms. Like every there's no there's there's not a foundation to anything anymore. Um, and so then you have the the sort of sh- shattered fragments of the Humpty Dumpty's eggshells, and then the the king's horses and the king's men try to put Humpty Dumpty together again. And this is the the modernist project of trying to create something, a brand new tradition out of scratch, right? And uh, to to make it as as foundational as the old traditions, but hopefully, hopefully freer or uh, or wiser or whatever. And ultimately, that project fails. And then and then there's sort of this postmodern phase where it's um, instead of trying to rebuild, uh, people are just playing with the fragments of the eggshells, like just playing with the pieces. This is what uh, Jean Baudrillard called it. Um, but then finally we reach a stage after that of, uh, this is where ALP comes in, where the pieces just self-organize themselves. Like the, uh, there's, this, uh, there's this period of emergence, and I, I think that's where sync comes in as well. It's, it's kind of this I don't know, a post post modern moment or something. I don't, I don't know if that sounds crazy, but uh, something new is coming in with this, right? Um, and I think it, it comes in with the whole structure of the internet itself, which is is almost foreshadowed by, by Finnegan's Wake, according to Marshall McLuhan. Amazing. Um, so, and then you have this See the moment now, like getting back to uh, what you were mentioning before, Doug, about the um, uh, what's happening in the states and and what's happening with the that massacre in the, in uh, South Carolina, which also happened basically on Bloomsday, like on on June seventeenth, when Bloomsday ends in the night of June seventeenth, right? And and it's interesting because the uh, the the founder of that church, uh, Denmark VC planned a slave revolt on um, originally on Bastille Day of June 14th, 1822. And the word got out, so he pushed it forward to uh, June 16th, 1822. So he plied, that massacre is insane, like the, uh, the, the symmetry behind it, right? Like uh, Denmark Vesey, the guy who uh, plans a slave revolt, um, it, who founded that church is on he plans a slave revolt for June sixteenth and this guy and then this guy plans this race war for June seventeenth right um, but anyway, so I see that as being uh it's sort of this kind of fundamentalist backlash right to to the whole kind of postmodern moment of complete relativity, like people are just struggling to find any sort of foundation yeah. whatsoever, yeah. Um, and it, right. it when goes you take a- when you take I, I think oftentimes so when I argue with my wife that's that's the thing it's like well you if you dismantle the root of civilization then you know you don't have anything to build upon 
I mean, you. Well, but, but the thing is, I think the the new moments, uh, if 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 this is such a thing, right? Like it what feels AOP, like it's a thing. It feels like it's it's happening. What AOP I think is pointing to is that we don't have to try to structure it, right? It it structures itself. It comes. It it arises spontaneously or emerges spontaneously, oh, yeah, right? From great. from our from our imagination, right? But is it, would you relate this, Doug? It sounded almost like you were saying, like um, maybe that people. So, like, I, I kind of had this image in my mind while you guys were talking, almost like tilling the soil. So, when you say you uprooted something, you sort of uproot the old structure. Now we're tilling the soil, which will allow something to grow. But for anyone standing on that soil, it feels as if there's no foundation. It right. feels un unstable. So there are people right. reacting to that. Does in a that real literal sense the yeah, exactly. western civilization yeah. is built on a judeo-christian structure and so that informs our culture on so many like the idea of marriage and property and just the, you know how we are in the world you know comes out of it doesn't come out of biology it comes out of mythology and mm. I'm okay with dismantling this mythology, but once you start taking things apart, you know, you're taking it apart, right? Yeah, exactly. Like like uh, Nietzsche called that, like the whole uh, Judeo-Christian heritage as being the will to truth, like the will to find the truth, to, to find a foundation. But he he coupled that with the will to truth that we find in science, right? Science still has that kind of will to truth to, 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 to find the ultimate foundations of the universe, right? And so you find the same right now, you find the same sort of fundamentalist backlash within science in a way, like this whole sort of neo, exactly. uh, new atheist movement. And, and I, it's, it's, to me, it's almost the same thing, right, as, as the fundamentalists, right? You, you talk to I, I have friends like this, and I talk to them, and it's just like, wow! I, I used to talk to fundamentalist Christians who sounded exactly the same as you, you know. Well, you can't. Um, you can't. Right. <laughs> you're you're getting them where they where they live when you start yeah. saying your truth is no longer valid. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Societies yeah, it, become something else, and I I know that this is how you make sense of the world. But that's not how the world is anymore. <laughs> exactly. So I don't. I don't know. I don't know how long this fundamentalist period is going to last. Like it seemed to come on strong, of course, from nine eleven, um, and assuming it doesn't blow itself up completely, which which may happen, you know, then uh, it's bound to take another course. And I think that's where sync comes in. It's almost like sync is the one of the only non-dogmatic movements around anymore, you know? But, Zanor, you've said some. I think you might have even said this in that synchronize, and uh, I, I don't know if, it, that I don't, my memory of it isn't uh, 100%, but I know you have said this, maybe whether in private conversation or in that essay, that sync itself will one day, you know, like it's, this is the current iteration of the attempt to be free from the dogmatic structure. Right. Until, of course, it is the dogmatic structure, and then we have to do, you know, we have to redo it. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, for sure, it could become a, a fundamentalism as 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 well as anything else, right? I'm Maybe not even necessarily in our lifetimes, but yeah. No, but would that no, yeah, be I, a perversion? A perversion of the thing, like trying mm. to capture the thing, and that's or is it when... the evolution of the thing? Because that. So you asked what what was my sort of one of my the sort of uh, the the founding tenets. The, the ideas that I was trying to convey in Suicide Kings was this idea that, you know, the the old boss, you know, meet, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, mm. is sort of an inherent un, and unfortunate reality of, like, you look at, um, you know, we're talking Judeo-Christianity here, uh, look at Moses, he frees the slaves, and then what does he do? He says, all right, motherfucker, here's pages and pages and pages of laws you now have to follow because I say so. He mm, frees yeah. them and then enslaves them. Sub enslaves them to this new legal system. Um, you know, we do this, um, you know, every, the, the hippie movement and then you, you, they become, you know, yuppies, you know, uh, Apple, Apple computers liberate the world and yet, oh, wait, we have slave labor making them all. You know, it's like, we sort of become the things we hate. Uh, this is the Philip K. Dick, you know, you becoming the empire. All, all these sorts of different. Um, even you've mentioned Nietzsche a few times. You know, you, you gaze into the abyss; it gazes back. All these sorts of mm. things that were we what you and I don't make to mean to say this into a new age. You know, what you resist persists or something. I'm talking on a much deeper level of you can't you can't do this over any length of time without whether it's entropy or the, the very opposite of it, something creeping in and uh, sort but of is showing... But oh, uh, trying to hang on? So, like, maybe that's why there's this strange feeling that... So you want something solid, but in a, in a time when there nothing is solid, you just have to... But like, if, you look at any, if you look at any coup or revolution throughout history... The revolutionaries become the dictators, or you they're know, swept in, aside for the new dictators. Right, you know, in, here in America, obviously, we're we're experiencing that with, you know, we have been for a while. I, I just, I, I'm sorry, I want to, I, 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 I want to yes. get something in here before I forget, Zenor. I've been, I've been thinking about you all week. I've wanted to tell you something. Mm. While we're talking hippies here and all this. Bob Dylan. Do you know Bob Dylan did a um, like a kind of radio show thing? I'm not sure the details of it, he, but he um, he read some of T.S. Eliot's Wasteland on the radio uh -huh. Uh -huh. and says that that was the uh, that basically the the poem is about the death of Abraham Lincoln. And to me, that was such, I mean, it's seeming, seemingly such a random thing to say, but to me, such a confirmation. Um, so Go sorry, uh, that's probably really out of place for anyone listening, but <laughs> dig, dig, dig into, uh, dig into Zenora's blog posts and my video and this will, maybe will click as to why that's so relevant. Yeah, that's amazing. That's especially because Dylan said that. Uh, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> especially right now that Dylan said that, right? Like that we have Dylan back in uh, South Carolina as well, right? Um, but that that that's the same cycle, right? You're talking about you're talking about the um, uh, what we could call it the hero's journey, right? And and Joseph Campbell takes the idea of the 
the hero's journey or the monomyth right from the wake, yeah? And so, um, yes, that cycle is always going to continue. Like uh, William Blake, he called it the orc cycle, actually. But uh, So you have the, the orc as rebel, and then the orc becomes the tyrant, and then he's overthrown, and, and then the new, the new rebel comes. Um, but... But behind that is is again that um, is ALP looking at the whole cycle, right? And so th- that's what I see as being the new um, the new thing that's added, right? Is is sort of the awareness of that whole process and to look at the process itself, right? And to see that that actually happens, that whole process happens all the time. Like that's the same process of of night to day or or winter to summer, like like. Um, from from Fraser's work, that's we find out that's what it's based on is, is are, are these harvest cycles, right? Um, and so I think I think what Joyce is pointing to is is let's let's look at the whole cycle, and if we look at the whole cycle, all of these things happen simultaneously, right? So that's that's when we do we can have uh, Christ and Antichrist happening at once, or you could have the uh, the revolution and the and the and the total ty- uh, tyranny happening at once as well. Like it, all of these things are happening at once. It's not. Um, I don't. I'm I'm not really talking about this uh, this ultimate liberation or anything. I'm just I'm. Unless that's what the ultimate liberation is, is is a matter of seeing all times and spaces at once, right? Um, uh, Ezra Pound, who who edited the uh, the wasteland. He he said, um, "We have to. All ages are uh, contemporaneous, right? And 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 our job as poets and artists um, is is to make make things new, right? Make things new, like like take uh, take the Odyssey or take even even later stuff, like even even the Wasteland. Now you know, take all these old poems." And make them vital again by realizing the vitality already in them, right? Um, and if we're able to do that, that's um, that's awakening to the cycle. I don't know if it's it's it. It's not maybe a matter of wake, awakening out of the cycle. It's just awakening to the cycle. And and I, William Blake talks about that. Like you see the uh, um, he he called it the, uh, the like the bounds of the zodiac, right? And so how the bounds of the zodiac themselves can be transformed by perception, right? So is that the transition from age of Pisces to age of Aquarius? Is the fish realizing the water that it's swimming in? Yeah, maybe. That's that's a good one. We're talking about the bounds of 42 minutes, and we're actually realizing the minutes that we're swimming in. (laughs) That was 42 minutes to the north. Thank you for sharing it with us. Yeah, thank you. That was great. You bet. You've been listening to Zenor on SyncBook Radio, a production of thesyncbook.com. Information about his work can be found at groupnameforgrapejuice.blogspot.com. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests to check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a SyncBook Plus member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to the complete audio archive, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as monthly online hangouts with the hosts. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com membership. Thanks so much. Ye say well, but Heisu, preserve me from your subtle crafts. P.S. 
This conversation continues, as always, record number 125. It should post in a day or two. Thanks again. Take care. April is the cruelest month. Breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Winter kept us warm, covering earth in forgetful snow, feeding a little life with dried tubers. Summer surprised us, coming over the Starnbergersee with a shower of rain. We stopped in the colonnade and went on in sunlight into the Hofgarten and drank coffee and talked for an hour. Bin gar keine Russin, stamm aus Litauen, echt Deutsch. And when we were children, staying at the Archduke's, my cousins, he took me out on a sled and I was frightened. He said, Mary, Mary, hold on tight. And down we went. In the mountains, there you feel free. I read much of the night and go south in the winter. What are the roots that clutch? What branches grow out of this stony rubbish? Son of man, you cannot say or guess, for you know only a heap of broken images where the sun beats, and the dead tree gives no shelter, the cricket no relief, and the dry stone no sound of water, only there is shadow under this red rock. Come in under the shadow of this red rock, and I will show you something different from either your shadow at morning striding behind you or your shadow at evening rising to meet you. I will show you fear in a handful of dust. Frisch weht der Wind, der Heimat zu. Mein irisch Kind, wo weilest du? You gave me hyacinth first a year ago. They called me the hyacinth girl. Yet when we came back late, from the hyacinth garden, your arms full and your hair wet. I could not speak and my eyes failed. I was neither living nor dead and I knew nothing. Looking into the heart of life, a silence. Erd und leer das Meer. Madame Sosostris, famous clairvoyant, had a bad cold. Nevertheless, is known to be the wisest woman in Europe with a wicked pack of cards. Here, said she, is your card, the drowned Phoenician sailor. Those are pearls that were his eyes, look. Here is Belladonna, the lady of the rocks, the lady of situations. Here is the man with three staves, and here the wheel. And here is the one-eyed merchant, and this card, which is blank. Is something he carries on his back, which I am forbidden to see. I do not find the hanged man. Fear death by water. I see crowds of people walking round in a ring. Thank you. If you see dear Mrs. Equitone, tell her I bring the horoscope myself. One must be so careful these days. Unreal city. 
Under the brown fog of a winter dawn, a crowd flowed over London Bridge. So many I had not thought death had undone so many. Sighs, short and infrequent, were exhaled, and each man fixed his eyes before his feet. Flowed up the hill and down King William Street, to where St. Mary Woolnoth kept the hours with a dead sound on the final stroke of nine. There I saw one I knew and stopped him crying, Stetson, you who were with me in the ships at Miley, that corpse you planted last year in your garden, has it begun to sprout? Will it bloom this year? Or has the sudden frost disturbed its bed? Oh, keep the dog far hence that's friend to men, or with his nails he'll dig it up again. You, hypocrite de lecture, mon semblable, mon frère. A game of chess. The chair she sat in, like a burnished throne, glowed on the marble, where the glass held up by standards wrought with fruited vines, from which a golden cupidon peeped out. Another hid his eyes behind his wings, doubled the flames of seven-branched candelabra, reflecting light upon the table as the glitter of her jewels rose to meet it, from satin cases poured in rich profusion. In vials of ivory and colored glass, unstoppered, lurked her strange synthetic perfumes, Unjuent, powdered, or liquid. Troubled, confused, and drowned the sense in odors. Stirred by the air that freshened from the window, these ascended, enfattening the prolonged candle flames. Flung their smoke into the lucky area, stirring the pattern on the coffered ceiling. Huge seawood fed with copper, burned green and orange framed by the colored stone, in which sad light the carved dolphin swam. Above the antique mantle was displayed, as though a window gave upon the sylvan scene, the change of filament by the barbarous king so rudely forced. Yet there the nightingale filled all the desert with inviolable voice, and still she cried, and still the world pursues jug, jug to dirty ears. And other withered stumps of time were told upon the walls. Staring forms leaned out, leaning, hushing the room enclosed. Footsteps shuffled on the stair, under the firelight, under the brush, her hair spread out in fiery points, glowed into words, then would be savagely still. My nerves are bad tonight. Yes, bad. Stay with me. Speak to me. Why do you never speak? Speak. What are you thinking of? What? Thinking. What? I never know what you're thinking. Think. I think we are in Rat's Alley, where the dead men lost their bones. What is that noise? The wind under the door. What is that noise now? What is the wind doing? Nothing again, nothing. 
Do you know nothing? Do you see nothing? Do you remember nothing? I remember those are pearls that wear his eyes. Are you alive or not? Is there nothing in your head? But oh, 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 that Shakespearean rag. It's so elegant, so intelligent. What shall I do now? What shall I do? I shall rush out as I am and walk the street with my hair down. So. What shall we do tomorrow? What shall we ever do? The hot water at ten. And if it rains, a closed car at four. And we shall play a game of chess, pressing lidless eyes and waiting for a knock upon the door. When Lil's husband got demobbed, I said, I didn't mince my words, I said to her myself, Hurry up, please, it's time. Now Albert's coming back, make yourself a bit smart. You'll want to know what you've done with that money he gave you to get yourself some teeth. He did, I was there. You have them all out, Lil, and get a nice set, he said. I swear I can't bear to look at you. And no more can't I, I said. And think of poor Albert. He's been in the army four years. He wants a good time. And if you don't give it him, there's others that will, I said. Oh, is there? She said. Something of that, I said. Then I'll know who to thank, she said. And gave me a straight look. Hurry up, please. It's time. If you don't like it, you can get on with it, I said. Others can pick and choose if you can't. But if Albert makes off, it won't be for lack of telling. You ought to be ashamed, I said, to look so antique. And her only 31. I can't help it, she said, pulling a long face. Send pills I took to bring it off, she said. She's had five already and nearly died of young George. The chemist said it would be all right, but I've never been the same. You are a proper fool, I said. Well, if Albert won't leave you alone, there it is, I said. What you get married for if you don't want children? Hurry up, please. It's time. Well, that Sunday, Albert was home. They had a hot gammon, and they asked me in to dinner to get the beauty of it hot. Hurry up, please. It's time. Hurry up, please. It's time. Good night, Bill. Good night, Lou. Good night, May. Good night. Ta-ta. Good night. Good night. Good night, ladies. Good night, sweet ladies. Good night. Good night.